Hey, I want to celebrate all of our moms who are here today at both of our campuses. Can you give our moms a big round of applause? And if you're a mom and you're watching us online today, we want to say to you, Happy Mother's Day. It is such a blessing to be able to be here this day. We are live. I want to welcome our LaGrange campus today. So wonderful to have you today as we worship together and here at Noonan. We're in our last week of our series entitled, What Do You Do When You Don't Know What To Do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? And it's been very practical. In the first week, we talked about the idea that we've got to go back and understand that our source must always be God. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. It is our responsibility. It's our opportunity. Uh, When we don't know what to do, we resource the source. We go back to who God is, and we go back because he is our source. And then week two, we talked about boundaries. And the idea that boundaries aren't meant to keep people out. Boundaries are meant to keep things into our lives, our priorities. And sometimes what happens is when we don't know what to do, we try to do everything, and we kind of get lost sometimes. And then last week, Matt McFadden, our creative arts pastor, preached an amazing message. And the idea was this. When you don't know what to do, operate in praise and thanksgiving, build an inventory. And when tough times come, go back to those things. And you always have that to pull off of the shelf because you've built an inventory of thankfulness and praise in your life. And so today, though, I want to tell you, this, this for me, I, I pray, will be the keystone message of this whole series. Um, over the last couple of weeks... As you talk through this series, I hear people ask the questions, I know what I should do when I don't know what to do. I know sometimes what I do when I don't know what to do, but what do you do in your life when things really go bad and you just seem to run out of a lot of options in your life? And today I want to address that. See, the truth is, many of us here today, many of us here today listening to this message I've gone through a moment in our life with whether we realize it or not, in a very subtle way, maybe we've grown an offense towards God. Now, I know you go, oh, Sean, I would never do that. God created the heavens and the earth. God can do all things. Uh, It sounds really good, right? It's like, have you ever heard someone say that's a Sunday school answer? Uh, It's a Sunday school answer. God can do all things, and no matter what happens in my life, blah, 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 blah. And then suddenly, when God doesn't seem to do all things, we just get offended by God. And most of us, whether we realize it or not, we're a little too religious to admit it. Sometimes we feel like God maybe has let us down. That somehow God has disappointed us at times in our lives. I realize that today there are some of you here today, your moms, and you've lost a child. You've had a miscarriage. Your child has walked away from God. Your child has made decisions and you go, how in the world could God be good and God be in control of all things if all of those things he would allow to happen? Reminds me of a story of a friend of mine. Last June, I lost a very dear friend. He was a deep mentor in my life. For 15, 20 years, he spoke into me. He spoke faith into my life. He helped raise me spiritually in many ways. And just about this time a year ago, he sat right there on the front row here in our worship center and worshiped with us here at Southcrest. And after church, we went that day to a restaurant in downtown Noonan. And as we're getting out of the car, he's telling me a story about some things that had happened in his son's life. He had two sons and a daughter. And his son, who was 22 years of age, for a period of about eight years, walked away from God. Got involved in heroin, got addicted, went to multiple rehabs, And my friend, Craig, he was all over the world sharing the gospel, building fresh water wells, taking care of disaster relief scenarios. 
And while that's going on, his son's struggling with addiction. And I'll never forget, we got out of the car in downtown Newton, and he looked at me and he said, Sean, I want you to know where I've come to in my life. If things don't end well with my son, I've already made the decision that, God, I'm going to love you anyway. And I want you to know as a parent today, maybe you've been at that place in your life when you did not know what to do. And maybe you've come to the place that I've come to in my life. At times, I've picked up an offense towards God. Bill Johnson in one of his books says it this way, why this is so important. He says, faith functions easily within a heart that is unoffended by God. Faith functions easily within a heart that's unoffended by God. In fact, I want to make this statement to you today. It could be sometimes in our life that we get offended towards one another. And the core of that reason is it begins with a slight offense we had towards God first. Whether we realize it or not, sometimes we pick those up. So when do you risk embracing an offense towards God? Well, first of all, when God doesn't do what you expect he would do. Or when God doesn't prevent what you expected him to prevent in your life, right? You had everything figured out. You had all the plans put together and something happened, an accident happened, a tragedy happened, a loss happened in your life. And sometimes we grow an offense towards God when it seems as if the promises that God has given us don't turn out the way that we thought they should. And so we begin to pick up this offense towards God. I know in my life, sometimes I've grown offended towards God when I had a formula of how I thought God should work. And I almost said it like this. I do my part, God do you your part, and together we will get this outcome. And what I didn't even realize, the offense happened because I was creating God into a formula relationship. If you do these three or four things, God will do these three or four things. And can I tell you, that's really just the heart of religion. The heart of religion says, if you act good, if you do good, if you get it all right, God will in some way bless you better than he will somebody else. And I just want to tell you, that's not true. And in America, we've kind of embraced that offense toward God. But sometimes we grow offended towards God when we're trying to avoid grief in our life. Somehow the idea that we go through something and we don't know how to grieve. People ask me all the time, Pastor, how long should I grieve after I lose someone that I love? I say, as long as you need. Grieve. Because in our culture, we kind of have this thought of when the funeral's over and the flowers are gone and the the baked goods are gone from our house, that you just need to get over it. And I just want to tell you, that's really when the grieving starts. I was in the middle of running a marathon six months after my dad passed away. And at mile 17 of that marathon, I started grieving my dad's death. And for the next three miles, I cried like a baby and people thought I was hurting in the marathon. (laughs) But I was hurting because my dad was gone. Sometimes when we avoid grief, you know what we're really saying in our heart? God in some way must be holding out on me. Something bad happened to me. I don't know how to process it. So there must be something wrong with God, and God is holding out on me, and we get offended towards God. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, first book of the Bible. I want to talk about how this offense sometimes begins and what we can do to overcome it in our life. Genesis 3, starting with verse 1, the Bible says this, Now the servant was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, 
Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, You may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. And then look at verse 5. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is where all the offense began. Satan somehow convinced Eve that God was holding out on her. That somehow there was something in the garden that if she got to, that God really didn't want her to have it because if she had it, she would be like God. The only problem is this. Satan was a liar. The truth is this. She was already like God. She was already like him. God had created Adam and Eve in his image. And she was already able to see. God allowed her to see everything within the garden. So the enemy came and somehow spin spin this to her and and said, hey, listen, God is holding out on you in this situation. Because if God really loved you, there would be nothing that he might withhold from you in some way. And here's what else is crazy about that. Not only was she like him already, but she had all of him already. Think about it. They're in the garden. She had all of his presence, all of God's wisdom, all of God's favor, all of God's love, all of God's goodness, all of God's power, and all of God's life right in front of her face. And yet the enemy walks in and leads her to believe that she didn't. You see, the enemy's strategy was to convince her that God's holding out on you. Even in John 10.10, Jesus said it when he came to the earth. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants you to understand there are going to be times in your life the enemy's strategy is just to get you about six inches away from believing God is all that he says he is because all he needs is a foothold in a wedge for you to begin to believe that somehow God's holding out on you. And then the moment you start doing that, you begin to be offended by God. So we got to understand this. A big part of the fall of man involved embracing an offense toward God. A big part of the fall of creation happened when somehow mankind grew an offense toward God. We begin to doubt who God is and we grow offended and begin to operate our own plans. But the Bible is literally full of people who even though they believed God didn't see the fulfillment of things that were promised for them. Do you realize that? Not every story in the Bible is a breakthrough story, right? Not every story in the Bible is a, is a David slaying a giant on a field. There are people in the Bible that believed God and, and chose to trust God, and yet things didn't work out so great. If you look in the, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, turn over there real quick. And as you're turning over, I, I just want to remind you, Adam and Eve never saw the sun that would crush Satan's head that God promised in the book of Genesis. Abraham never saw the descendants that God said would be like stars in the sky because most of them died in slavery in Egypt. Moses never walked into the promised land. He saw it, but he never got to go into it. You say, well, God must be holding out on them. Well, let's go to Hebrews 11 real quick. Verse 13. 
Speaking about all these people, we know this is the hall of faith. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are not looking for a country of their own. If they had been looking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. All throughout the Bible, there's people that believed God and yet they died in faith, not seeing the fulfillment of the promise. What I find ironic is that every one of them in Hebrews 11 here are being celebrated not for the breakthrough they had, but for how they died without the breakthrough and yet they never grew offended towards God. Heroes not because of something big that they saw, but heroes because no offense towards God and they realized that they were just part of the story and the story wasn't over yet. In fact, they were exiles. They said, we're not even home yet. There's, there's gonna be a, a new heaven and a new earth and we just know where we are in this story. And here's why we challenge ourselves when things go bad in our life, just like maybe these people would have. Because at the end of the day, what we really want is to fit God in our nice little box and let God operate in the manner in which is according to our plans. Let's be honest. That's what we want. God is only God if he does things the way that I want him to do it. And and to do that, can I really say what you are saying is you yourself want to be God. That somehow God is holding out on you and he's not. He's not. So when things don't turn out the way that we hope that they would, when we try to hang on to all of the goodness of God and then suddenly we experience hurt and loss and pain and disappointment in our life, somehow we question, is God really who he says he is? Because if he was, couldn't he have prevented this? I mean, even in America, we believe, hey, if I believe enough in God's goodness, if I just believe enough in God, God won't let me go through these tough times. Can I tell you that's wrong? That's wrong. I've gone through some tough times in my life. I've gone through some major losses in my life. I've gone through some times where I felt like God was pruning me back. And God just said, Sean, you got to choose to choose to trust me and not grow offended towards me because you don't even understand. I got the big picture in mind for your life. The truth is everyone has loss and everyone has disappointment. And not every story is a breakthrough story. And what we need is somehow to have a position about God and an understanding about evil in the world that allows us to oppose that evil, believe God for a breakthrough, and yet still understand that there's a 100% chance that every one of us are gonna die. That's why this is so important to us, to choose to not live offended. How does our world explain it? You know, our world has a way of trying to explain the the problem of evil in our world. And and they have a term that they use called theodicy. And here's what the idea of theodicy says. God is good, God is near, and God is powerful. However, if evil is real in the world, one of these three can't be true. 
And can you see where the offense begins? Because if God is good, God is near, and God is powerful, and then somehow by the introduction of evil into the world, God is less than all those three, then we've already created an atmosphere for offense to occur. So they would say that if evil exists, only two of these can be true. And what the enemy does is he really just kind of twists the truth with us. Because he wants us to believe that somehow evil forces God's hand on one of these three things and makes it not. God is good. God is near. And God is powerful. Regardless of any evil in our world. I want you to watch this story of a young girl named Savannah. The year was 2014. Joseph and Laura Jones were very proud parents of their only daughter, Savannah. Loving to laugh, dance, and ride horses, Savannah had a passion for life. She was even known for her knowledge of pop music. As a sophomore in high school, Savannah enjoyed spending time with her friends. Sadly, October 24th at the yearly fall festival, Savannah saw her friends for the last time as the next morning, tragedy struck. She came downstairs and she said, I can't move my left arm. And I said, what do you mean you can't move your left arm? She said, I can't move it. So I, you know, tried to make her move it. I saw she couldn't move her arm. So I said, well, okay, I'll get dressed and I'll take you to the doctor. So I started getting dressed and then she said, I can't move my right arm. So that's when I told Joe to call 911 because I could see it was something, something I couldn't handle. Savannah was rushed to LaGrange Hospital that day. The doctors were unsure if Savannah would ever recover. Savannah had suffered a stroke in her spinal column, and according to her doctors, she was one of only four people known to suffer such a stroke. The doctors were unsure if Savannah would ever recover. Joseph and Laura were forced to wait. You feel like you're falling apart, you know, but you, and you don't know what's going to happen. But then by, by, by Wednesday, I realized I knew what was going to happen. So you start, I started the other direction, playing in funeral because I knew it was not, she was not coming back. I was angry at God. And I remember I looked at both of y'all and I told you that I was angry with God. And you said it was okay to be angry with God, that he would want me to be angry. I had breast cancer, 
and they scheduled me for surgery for July, and my dad dies a week before I have my surgery. You know, and you think, what else can happen? But I was able to have my surgery. They got all the cancer. In August, I started chemo, and that I just went like a, like a breeze. My God is great, and He can get you through anything. When when the when it's really bad, He's there for you. Even though you're angry with Him, He's there with you. No matter how bad it gets. He's there. thank Joe and Laura Jones for sharing Savannah's story. They attend our LaGrange campus and they're here with us today. A part of that story that we didn't have the chance to tell that you need to know is when we visited them in the hospital, their daughter was at Children's here in Atlanta. I walked into the room and Pete Sugar, our campus pastor from Noonan, was in the room with Savannah and they had her on a respirator and kind of on life support knowing that things were not going good and Joe and Laura were not in the room. And I said to Pete, I said, where are Joe and Laura? And they said, they found out that there's other families and other rooms around them who don't have food to eat, are about to lose their child, and they've decided to leave and go minister and share Jesus with those other families. How do you choose to live unoffended by God? Evil doesn't determine whether or not God is good, God is near, or God is powerful. So we have to answer this question. Why would a good, near, and powerful God not prevent evil? See, that's the question you are asking yourself, because when you don't know what to do, somehow you want to give in to that theodicy, that somehow God is less than who he says he is. So if you have a pen, I want to walk you through this today as we close Why would a good, near, and powerful God not prevent evil? The first part of that is this. God has made a world where love is possible. God has made a world where love is possible. Look around this room. Look who you're sitting next to. Many of you are sitting next to your spouse, your child, a good friend, somebody you're in relationship with. And chances are really good that maybe the person you're sitting beside of you, you truly love them. And that would never be possible if God wouldn't have created a world where love is possible. Think of your friends in your life, the people that have impacted you. I told you about my friend Craig. I would have never had a relationship with Craig in my life as a friend if God wouldn't have made a world where love is possible. And because that's true, we got to understand the second part of this. Love 
requires freedom. Love requires freedom. You see, love has to be chosen or it's not love. Think about it between a man and a woman. If you take the physical expression of love between a man and a woman and remove choice from it, what does it become? It becomes evil. It becomes abuse. It becomes not love. And so freedom is essential for love to exist. God has made a world where love is possible, but for for that to happen, love requires freedom. And where there is no love, there's no freedom to choose. And where there's no freedom to choose, there's no love. The third thing we got to understand is this. Freedom requires options. Freedom requires options. With no choice, there is no option. I don't know any of you who would go to a restaurant and pull into the drive-thru and there's only one menu on the item and you would say, I would like the other item that's on the menu. And they say, there is no other item. You have option A or option A. (laughs) So God has created this world where love is possible, but love requires freedom. And then freedom requires options. Not the illusion of freedom, but real options. And for love to exist, choice must exist. So God made a world where evil is also possible. People have asked me for years, if God loved the world, why did he let the snake in the garden in the first place? You know why? Because all along he said, my love is so big and so perfect, I want to choose to let love be a freedom of choice for man. You see, love is my choice to benefit you at my cost. Evil is my choice to benefit me at your cost. And let's be honest, isn't there evil all around us? There are some of you here today, you were abused as a child, and you said, why did that person touch me when I was nine years old? Why did my brother die of cancer? Why did we go through the accident that we went through? Why did my job fail? Why did all these things fail? And the truth is, Evil around us doesn't change who God is. God knows that freedom requires options. So why do bad things happen? I pray that if you don't hear anything else today, you'll remember this statement. If God were to remove the option of evil from this world, he would at the same time be removing the option of love. There are things in life that we all experience, not because God isn't good or near or powerful, but because he created us with the capacity to choose love. And truth is, none of us would want it any way different. Because I hear people say all the time, God just wants to control me. No, God gave you the opportunity to choose him. I had the opportunity at the age of 21 to choose my wife, to love her to marry her, to want to spend the rest of my life with her. How different it would have been if if she'd had no choice in the matter, but instead she did. She said yes. We wouldn't have it any other way. 
I mean, think about it this way. If you in your life have grown offended towards God or towards others, sometimes that's the result of an offense towards God, we could let go of a lot of offense in our life if we would just realize there are certain things God could have prevented if God didn't value love so much because love is a choice. His answer was not to prevent evil. You know what God's answer was for evil? To enter into it. He took all of himself, wrapped himself in humanity through his son, Jesus Christ, and sent Jesus to this earth. And think about it. God didn't even withhold the choice of evil from his own son. Jesus was completely sinless, not because he was a robot, but because he chose love. So he put himself into humanity and he brought Jesus and he let Jesus go to a cross and be crucified and on the third day come alive. You know why? So that the power of evil could forever be destroyed. Oh, there's evil in the world. But I want to remind you, God has dominion over all of it. God either orders or allows all things in our lives. So I want to ask you a question. Do you realize where you are in the story? You see, there's creation. God created the world. There's the people of Israel. There's the story of them. There's the story of them walking away from God and making sacrifices. And then Jesus comes. Jesus dies on the cross. And there's a resurrection that happened. And then one day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And you and I are living in the balance of God's history, his story. God's not done with the book yet. So people say to me all the time, if God was so good, he could prevent this. Listen, God could prevent anything he wanted to prevent. It doesn't change who he is. But you got to understand, if you're going to choose to live undefended by God, you got to know where we are in the story. See, it's crazy to me. You can even go to the book of Revelation. Some of you don't know this. And I don't study Revelation a lot, but the truth is, when you go there, there's a point in history where God's going to lock up Satan. He's going to put him away for a thousand years. And then he's going to open it up again and let Satan run around and see and let everyone who's still alive on the earth at that time rechoose him. <laughs> That's not the option I would create. But you know what God's saying? God is so secure in himself, and he's so secure in his love that he's willing to give mankind one more option to choose him. God is good, God is near, God is powerful. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? You choose to live unoffended by God. Let's pray together. In this moment, as we just bow our heads for a moment, I wanna ask you a very honest question. Some of you in this room as I spoke today, you begin to realize that somewhere in your life, either something happened to you or you went through something or you've had a bad something happen in your life and in a small way or a big way, you have grown an offense towards God. And I wanna tell you the same thing we told Joe and Laura Jones. God understands that you're mad. I'm reminded that when he went to find Lazarus, the Bible said that's when Jesus wept. 
We don't know exactly why he wept. I've heard people say, I think he wept because he saw how death had affected mankind. Other people say he wept because he loved Lazarus so much. It doesn't matter. Jesus showed us his true self. He showed us his true emotion. And instead of putting his fist towards heaven and saying, Father, why did you let this happen? He just wept. So there are some of us here today, we've come into this room and in some way, something happened, something didn't happen the way we thought it should happen. And, and, and in some way, here's what we've done. In a very slight way, we've kicked that door open and said, God, in some way, you're holding out on me. And the truth is, he's not. The presence of evil in this world doesn't mean the absence of the fact that God is good, God is near, God is powerful. Every one of us in this room are going to face loss. The question is, when you face it, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to blame God? Are you going to blame others? Are you willing to come to a place where you realize, God, I really believe you are who you say you are. No matter what happens to me, no matter how the story ends on my part, I choose to live unoffended by you. I wonder how many of us here today would be honest enough to say, you know what, Pastor Sean? I'm one of those people. Somewhere in my heart, something's happened and I've grown an offense towards God. And today, I wanna let go of that offense. If that's you today, would you just put up your hand? Just put it up, amen. And there's freedom in this room today. You don't have to come here and play church. This is real life. There are gonna be real things happen to us. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Sean, I'm still holding on to that one idea that somehow if God was good, this wouldn't have happened. If God was powerful, he could have changed it. Listen, if that's you today, if you're still holding on to that offense, would you just put your hand up high? I just wanna know, just as an evidence of your faith today. And then I wanna ask you to do something different. I wanna ask you to hold both of your hands out just like this. And here's what I wanna ask you to do. I want you right now to just hold those hands out and I want you to say these words to God in your own words. God, I am no longer offended by you. You've done nothing wrong. You are who you say you are. And I choose to live unoffended. 